0: Welcome back to the Arcane Dames podcast, a very super special bonus episode where Mel and I are super excited to introduce Jess and Paulina from the Sand podcast here to talk to us a bit about Romani culture and their experiences growing up in families that have fortune telling as a trade in their family and how tarot plays into all of that mel and i are just super thrilled to jump into this so thank you so much for being here with us today
1: thank you for having us we're so excited absolutely um if you guys each want to kind of dive in and introduce yourselves to our listeners a little bit that would be awesome all right (laughs) i'm jasmina
2: vontila um and this is a name that i it's like an old stage name, but also a family name. Um, I also write and publish under Jessica Reedy. And so you'll see both names around. Um, but it's back from when I used to be an adjunct English professor and really had to keep like my fortune telling trade work separate from being a teacher. But these days it's not actually a big deal at all, but it was like 10 years ago. (laughs) So, (laughs) Yeah, I'm a tarot, palm, and tea leaf reader. I do different types of um, spiritual work and coaching. I do a lot of writing and editing and um, some performance art as well. And um, I've been running co-hosts. I've been a co-host for Sun podcast with Paulina for the last three years. And uh, yeah, Paulina.
3: So um, yeah, my name's Paulina. And I also am a co-host of Romanistan. <laughs> I own a small holistic healing store um, in Newport Beach, California called Romani Holistic. And we definitely offer readings, but we also do holistic healing services. And so I'd like to incorporate uh, multiple different practices where I just kind of bring in a combination of things of like Um, you know, food, spices, teas, um, Reiki, sound bowl. We just like really get into it. And yeah, that's it. Incredible. Thank you for sharing.
1: So you are both based on the West Coast. I'm actually in New Hampshire. um,
2: And so Paulina and I only met for the first time in New York, uh, a couple weeks ago, because the other podcasts that Paulina is part of, the Foretold series by the L.A. Times, had a billboard in Times Square and we had to go see it.
1: <laughs> That's oh actually my- incredible. Congratulations.
3: Congratulations. Oh. Yeah, it was definitely pretty cool. Jess and I hung out in New Jersey for a day, so that was pretty cool, too. <laughs> Love yeah.
1: it. Oh my gosh. So how did you guys kind of collaborate and relate your experiences to one another to the point where you wanted to create your show?
3: So what was weird was that I had just kind of got out of the community and I was like learning and and watching videos about like uh, Romani culture, which is weird because I grew up in the culture, but I found Mm -hmm. out so much more about it. Uh, once i had left and jess always was so present um like online and like through videos and through social media i was like or actually i didn't even see your social media at that time but i I don't know i saw like a lot of videos that you did and i was like maybe if i reach out to jess like they'll want to do a video with me together and do you want to tell them what you said (laughs) So yeah,
2: (laughs) Paulina reached out to me. um, I kind of a strange time in my life. I, you know, if anyone who's listening is within the Romani community, it's really normal for there to be like a lot of um, small scandals that erupt where people get um, a little infighty and a little bit like, is this person really Romani? Like, are they like, is it okay for them to be an academic and a fortune teller? And so I was getting like a little bit of heat um, whereas normally I had not had a bunch of heat yet. So it hit me a little hard
3: <laughs> Right,
2: and, um, and then Paulina calls and it was like, sh- also shortly after my mother had died unexpectedly and she was like, you know, let's do a podcast. What do you think? And I was like, I'm poisoned for your podcast. I don't think so. People are saying mean things online. <laughs> And then I thought about it for a week and I was like, no, I really want to do this. This is awesome. (laughs) This is such a great idea. And I would love to, because, you know, Paulina told me her story of leaving a very traditional community and, um, and I grew up very assimilated and I was thinking it would be so cool for us to share our different experiences of being Romani. We're kind of on different end of the spectrum different sorry lily chewing a bone very aggressively very loudly (laughs) we have different experiences and yet a lot in common and so yeah she won me over that is
0: such a cool story and you know maybe on a smaller scale but i can definitely relate to the like strange feelings of being in academia, but also wanting to do things that don't necessarily jive with academia as much. Um, I pursued my PhD for three years before leaving in sociology, and it's a it's an intense feeling—the kind of pressure of being like an academic and then also being a human being um, and having a mm-hmm. presence and all of that so i'm sure having your romani culture in addition to that was a lot right
2: yeah because i mean there was a lot of i mean i think really actually interesting conversation about like am i reinforcing stereotypes by working my family trade and in my opinion it was like well it's my family trade (laughs) like i love it um but also that's an interesting discussion and like fair point but i i was feeling a little um uh what's the word tender (laughs) about being visible.
1: Yeah. That makes me really curious too. Like at what point was fortune telling an embraced topic for either of you, for each of you um, versus like something you were a little bit more unsure about taking on and identifying fully with?
3: I think for me, it was kind of like I basically, my parents always did fortune telling and the grandparents, great great grandparents, like one of my actually my great grandfather like legalized it in Arizona. So there's always been a strong connection to it. And Mm -hmm. it really felt like I was so like dug into like being just a fortune teller. Then finally I left Mm -hmm. the community. I took a break from it. And then I kind of educated myself and going back into it, I felt like. My nine to five was boring. I felt like I missed it. I still had clients. And I think when I felt more comfortable with myself, like as a human being, I felt more comfortable with embracing um, fortune telling. And that's when I opened my store and everything where I was like, I guess I'm okay with it. Like I'm okay publicly. I'm okay with all parts of it. So yeah. Awesome.
2: Yeah, for me, it was... um a little different. Similarly, it was a trade that had been in my family for a really, really long time. Um, But my grandmother came over to the U.S. by herself, um, and she lived in Germany during World War II and um, survived by hiding her ethnicity. And, you know, a very creepy German uh, farmer took them in. And so her experience of her ethnicity was something that she needed to hide that was very dangerous if people found out. And so she didn't actually tell my mother and her siblings until they were in their 20s that they were Romani. And then all of a sudden something started to make sense for them. Mm -hmm. And, but not everyone was happy to find that out really just my, my mother and her sister. And, um, so my mom and auntie did not work professionally as fortune tellers. And there were a few reasons for that, even though my grandmother had taught them. And, but it was really important for my grandmother when I was born, um, all of a sudden she was like, oh my God, if I die, everything dies. And so she really trained me from a young age and she had said, there are a few signs also that someone would be good in the Romani community at fortune telling Some folks, they describe it as like signs of being a witch and others, they don't describe it that way. Mm
3: -hmm. And
2: um, so my grandmother felt like I had some signs and I really needed to learn. And so it was something that I was very proud of from a very young age, but it also was something that made me weird. And um, I mean, when I was a kid, it was not cool at all. And Mm -hmm. I grew up in a very kind of like conservative, very white part of New Hampshire and I felt othered in a lot of different ways and was, you know, bullied and everything. But I what I did start my own like little business at 12, like reading horses, <laughs> and seeing like what issues horses were having and, um, you know, pulling cards from my auntie's friends at their parties and things like that. And just kind of started a little business when I was like 12 and I really loved it. Um, and it was something that I always kind of did as like a side hustle, but my, my dad's family is not real money. And I think my dad never really understood it as a career, even though he appreciated, I mean, he would ask me to read his cards, (laughs) but like, um, so I think I had like a really strong push pull of being like, well, I have to get a real job, but I also never make enough money. So I'm going to keep doing the family trade. And lately, since I, um, a few years ago, um, had a, some big chronic health issues come up, fortune telling had really been the only full-time thing that I could do. And mm. I was surprised that I had a little resistance to it, where I was like, okay, I guess I'm just a fortune teller now. But then I was like, oh, that's actually nice. <laughs> I, I have always loved this work. Absolutely. And so,
1: yeah, it's, it's been an interesting relationship with it. I love that. I think it's cool that kind of Both experiences you've had have ebbed and flowed in different directions and ended up with both of you in the same place. And, you know, I think that in a very different sense, obviously, but like Alyssa and I relate to that. And it's interesting, like the chemistry and connection that you guys share and like that dynamic coming through when you guys discuss and like host your show. Um, And I just find that like relatable, but also really like honorable. Um, super fun. And Alyssa and I, which I was reading through right before we started recording, um, made like an exciting list of questions. And I feel like both of those origin stories kind of goes into our first question, which I'll turn over to Alyssa if you want to kind of touch on those notes. I know not me like having
0: the rambliest <laughs> no I love it but you don't want to forget a thought right just thinking about kind of framing this episode especially for our re- our readers listeners who you know I I don't know of any Romani listeners in our audience certainly there may be some but I think for the most part we have like Mel and I talk a lot about being raised Catholic. Uh, we talk a lot about our very specific white experiences. And so I think a lot of people with that same positionality are attracted to the podcast. And so there's there's a huge benefit, right, to, to introducing people who are interested in tarot to the story of the Romani people, especially because oftentimes we kind of frame witchiness in tarot in this very whitewashed way of like we know that there's a history of oppression there but we think of like the witch trials instead of thinking of the reality which is Christianity has intentionally used the title of witch to oppress people of color and different racial and ethnic minorities. Um, I thought that it was so interesting t- on your podcast to hear Paulina discuss her family history of fighting for the rights of fortune tellers. Um, and I think that as modern day quote unquote fortune tellers, Mel and I do a lot of work to say, like, we we don't necessarily see ourselves as fortune tellers. We don't necessarily see ourselves as predicting the future. We don't call ourselves psychics by any means, but certainly this work kind of gets put under that umbrella. And I think that it's really important to know that like, the only reason we can do this work is because of, the work of the Romani people. So I guess I was just, this isn't like really a question as much as it's just like, I think it's so interesting that you have that firsthand, like family history of literally fighting for fortune telling to be legal and just any insight or like thoughts on that that you might want to share.
2: Yeah, I found it feels really important to me to give context to what I do and why I'm doing it. And so I have a whole little spiel that I give to new clients uh, whenever they sit down just about how first a lot of people don't know who Roma are. They think we're maybe Romanian or they think we're from Rome. Um, understandable. They sound very similar. <laughs> but, um, and so I always like to say that Roma are a diasporic ethnic group originally from India, but a long time ago, about the 10th century And that when early Roma first arrived in Europe around the 1400s, they were met with a lot of persecution, which persists. So the types of traditional trades that we associate with Romani people, and we're also known as gypsies, but because it's technically the racial slur, most Roma prefer the term Romani. Um, But people usually uh, associate us with metalworking, um, horse trading, performing, and fortune telling, because those were the trades that Romani people had taken with them. And those were really the only jobs that Roma were allowed to work for the last several centuries. And in those centuries, there were a lot of really complicated factors, like 500 years of enslavement in Romania and um, that area of the world, and multiple genocides and like all kinds of very intense persecution. And so the marginalization um, is intense. And so uh, at the same time, you know, fortune telling has been in my family for a really long time. And although it's been shaped by persecution, I really love what I do. And it's a big part of my culture and the way that I connect um, to it. And, you know, we see fortune telling as a really helpful tool to navigate what's going on around you. For me, the way that I learned it, it feels very like solution oriented, feels very compassionate. And you get to work with these tools to see how you want to navigate your life. And so it's nice to be able to give like a little bit of a historical context, especially since, you know, Romar and the interesting position where it's like we didn't invent tarot cards and also playing cards existed before tarot cards from, you know, Africa and East Asia and West Asia. Um, but we did use tarot cards for divination and created that as a job, <laughs> as a, as a means of survival. And there's so little information out there about it. Um, but you can see it through history documented in famous paintings and, um, in records and photographs and all kinds of literature. Uh, it's all there. And, um, but people don't really talk about it or understand it too much, but they they recognize the crystal ball or the trashy gypsy costume. <laughs> and think that's what
3: it is Um, yeah i'd like to i guess give a little bit context too like this was obviously an art fortune telling episode but the history kind of lies in this like this italian man tarochi whatever his name was like you know created the paintings and as we traveled throughout the west we kind of brought fortune telling along and popularized it and at the same time it's not like i say like popularize it like in a cool way that you'd popularize something today but more in a way that's like we were darker skinned you know colors we originated from india and we had, because of our travels, a lot of it, you know, through war and slavery and all this stuff were reasons we were pushed out of wherever we were. Um, we carried all these different kind of cultures with us. so we seemed different. We spoke a very ancient language, and basically, it would be very d- difficult for us to assimilate and to you know, work in certain places and have regular jobs. So we resorted back to our Old, doing our old things. And one of those things includes um, like begging as well. Like those were, we literally weren't allowed to work anywhere else. So we were fortune telling and begging on the streets and, you know, doing things like that. But at the same time, I look at the way that it's portrayed like nowadays. And I feel like, you know, those really strict you know, people, especially religious people that really hate fortune telling at the very same time, like you forced us in this box, you know, like you forced us. And so don't get mad at us when we stay in the game. And I think that's kind of what brings us to this conversation. So yeah. (laughs) Awesome.
0: That's incredible. That's such a important perspective. And it is, you know, it's really frustrating that, when you get into tarot there is that complete erasure like finding that history is difficult you have you have to really be looking for it as a non romani person and certainly it shouldn't be that
1: way so i know you mentioned just specifically that you also read tea leaves and what was the other method that you mentioned using palmistry too Yes. Oh, incredible. I'm really excited to learn about both of those. But as far as tarot, as that is what Alyssa and I usually talk about, do you guys, either of you, both of you, hopefully have perspective on what tarot deck you learned on and what kind of tarot system you grew up with specifically within those cards? So my grandma was very old school
2: and she preferred an ancient pack of playing cards (laughs) to to a tarot deck. And um, so I learned on playing cards and there are a lot of similarities, obviously, because, you know, they have share a similar system. Um, And when I wanted to expand to tarot cards, she was like, you know, I sort of lost interest in those. I feel like you can figure it out yourself. Just like, you know, apply what you know from the playing cards. And then the major arcana is like self-explanatory, but she had a very, uh, what am I trying to say? Old school way of teaching Mm -hmm. where she really didn't want me to write anything down. She didn't want me to read any books. It was oral tradition and she got really mad at me when I insisted for the cards at least that I keep a notebook because there's so many cards, and she was just disgusted. <laughs> she let me do it. and she was just like, "Make sure no one ever sees it." <laughs> like, okay, um, but the my mother actually bought me my first tarot deck um because she agreed that she thought it would be more like profitable for me to read tarot because no one was reading playing cards mm-hmm. and she was like grandma t- doesn't need to be so old school about this and she got me the mother Peace deck which is mm-hmm. that round like hippie deck and yeah the <laughs> so one yeah and so I started on that one and I would show my grandma the cards and she would just sort of roll her eyes and be like, well, this is what it would be in the playing card. <laughs> like, okay. Um, but yeah, so I kind of did that. Um, and I ended up, I don't read, uh, playing cards for clients at the moment and, and never really have because it feels a little too close to like a closed system, oh um, God. or a closed practice, but I'm happy to read tarot cards and, um, Oh, for clients though. So.
1: I find that fascinating, especially as most of our listeners that we've spoken to know. Like The very Western individualistic look at learning tarot and learning anything probably is like, write it down. It's up to you. Did you study? Did you remember? And there is no value in like, I just think even the family structure of passing it down is something so unique and really like special.
2: Yeah. I I liked that a lot too. Cause the idea was that she was like, if you don't remember, come back to my house and soak it into your bones. (laughs) Right. Like, spend time, which I thought was beautiful. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I'm really curious, too, like, do you feel like... Because tarot is an ideology as well. So do you feel like there are significant ideological differences between tarot and the way that you learn fortune-telling? I'm curious about any, like, differences that really stand out to you.
2: I think I'm going to ask a clarifying question. What, what What does tarot ideology mean to you i'm very curious yeah
0: for sure well i I think that you know you have this like fool's journey of the major arcana and there are these like really significant moments of like death and the tower and judgment and so there's like a lot of um like spiritual awakening metaphors and there's a lot of you know, these like large themes in life. But I I think on some level, there's a overarching framework that tarot creates through all of the different life themes that it addresses, if that makes sense. And, and so I guess I'm wondering if it was like very similar in the sense that it was just like different cards that addressed all the same life themes, or if there was anything where you were like, oh, this isn't something that really was addressed with the playing cards or the playing cards really focused more around this idea or this goal or something like that.
2: (laughs) That is such a cool question. Okay. So first I want to know, Paulina, I I don't know if we've ever actually talked about this. Did you grow up? reading plan cards tarot cards or both
3: uh, it was a combination of things kind of both um my first deck I never really nobody ever really bought me a deck until I was older because I would just use pass down decks basically so the first deck I learned on was the traditional uh, Rider Waite deck and kind of I think once you know the Rider Waite you kind of get the gist of like every other deck, you know, and then playing cards, only my great grandmother would still use playing cards. So I felt like I practiced like briefly, maybe like six months with playing cards. And at the same time, it was it. I felt similar to the way that you felt like I looked at all the old paintings of like, you know, gypsies just kind of playing, like reading the fortunes with their playing cards, sitting on the floor and like begging. And there's like a hat and kind of all this stuff. And I don't know, it makes me feel a little bit weird. What you said about your grandmother was like, well, if you need to learn, like come back and I'll like drill it into your brain. Um, my, the women in my family, even the men, when they were around while we were learning, were very much like, if you don't learn, like you will not survive. And so it was mm. the only job we were allowed to have. It wasn't like, oh, I support if you want to like go to school or get a job or like do anything like that. It was like, you have to understand because how are you going to make money? How are you going to eat? Literally, mm. that's what they would do. And when I first started making money, even if it was $5, $10, like whatever I was doing on the streets as a kid, Was for that exact reason, I remember like making $25 and then going to the market and buying like bread and noodles or something. So I feel like that was um, how I learned was, it was just this, like, you have to learn traditional kind of way. Um, But I really do Mm -hmm. like that question. I think there is definitely a difference in kind of how it's perceived also, because I don't know, like, I know that we've had this influence right on tarot, I remember reading this thing on like Britannica or something. So I thought it was like so real, but I don't remember now where it was like, they created the cards because I don't know, like gypsies were trying to entertain the Royals. Do you ever, re- do you ever, did you ever read that? Jess? I think I've heard something like that. Yeah. Like gypsies were entertaining the Royals. Cause it was like the only job they would let us do. And then the playing cards were so boring that someone like painted all those pictures. That's why they match up exactly perfectly and they that was all of a sudden like it would make it more fun like for the royals if there was pictures involved that's why there's so much like royalty um, involved in there as well with all these hidden meanings but I mean we don't really know how true that is so when Mm -hmm. I hear the meanings I'm like I feel like is that something that like resonates Um, or is it not like I think everyone has their own different twists as you guys probably do (laughs) Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, when I think about the playing cards and the tarot cards, you know, um, I think a lot of well, the playing cards would be like the minor arcana. And also, at the same time, the way that I read the minor arcana slash playing cards with my grandma, all of the themes of like the fool's journey and death and transformation and everything came up in those cards, which makes sense, because they're kind of you know, the practical life of the the major arcanas, may, maybe the more spiritual experience, whereas the minor is the day-to-day. And I think especially for my grandmother, the way that she read, she was way more concerned with practical things. And the way that she read was also like a little more feisty and direct than I do, mm. um, <laughs> where she wasn't really uncomfortable um, predicting things that were difficult um, or approaching it in a way that was a little more blunt, but it it was sort of because the spiritual experience of it was wrapped up in that. Mm -hmm. And so it just seemed like it was distributed in a different way when I started learning tarot.
1: That makes sense. Something that like occurred to me hearing both of you tell that. Story is very much from our perspective, like becoming a tarot card reader is almost like a pipe dream, right? Like a too cool for school. Like you're so creative for trying to do that. You're going to make a job out of that. Are you sure you can make ends meet? Like that's what we receive from our families. And I think, you know, widely new age white spirituality in general versus the juxtaposition of like, fulfilling a role and like continuing a family legacy where it's, it's almost like expected of you. And then we have an experience (laughs) that is so opposite. Yeah. So I think it's interesting, like the backstory and the relationship you immediately go into your practice with, like it's so ingrained in you versus like, it was something I had to find and like constantly doubt. Like it's just two very different framings of like accepting yourself as a spiritual person.
3: Yeah, I think that um, it's so interesting because I've never really heard that perspective. Um, and so thank you for sharing that. And at the very same time, like we do feel like, I mean, I my point of view is that it's obviously not a closed practice. I also mm-hmm. feel like... Now that it is getting more popularized, I think technology and social media has a lot to do with it too. But Mm -hmm. now that it's more popular, it feels like, um, and, and it's true, like... I think if you see kind of like this white person doing it it's kind of considered like more trustworthy and it like it's a little bit more normalized mm-hmm. and it's kind of okay but I remember for years like since I was 17 I'd have to have clients come in through the back because like they were embarrassed or their family would think they're going to gypsies or I, people would even say things like oh yeah my mom couldn't think this cuz she think you guys try to like kidnap me or something and I'm like what like and so it's like we've kind of experienced it in a different realm and seeing it kind of grow um, is interesting. So that's why I think it's nice to it's nice that you guys are inviting us on this podcast. And it, I like that it gives us kind of a chance to educate because not a lot of people even know that it is um, I what we call like a domani practice and like a family trade, especially a survival trade. Right.
0: Honestly, like we're we're so grateful to you guys for calling us into this conversation and I I yeah. imagine that it must just be so painful to see something that has come with so much racism for you be popularized by white people and then have these white people like make so much money mm-hmm. and have these huge platforms charge wild prices just like all of these things knowing that you and your family were experiencing actual harm for doing the same Mm -hmm. thing like i can only imagine
3: yeah definitely like uh we needed to survive and we you know grew up with this and we really a lot of the times like you can not sometimes break out of it or you don't know a way or, or you get called back to it, which has been the experiences with like most little money people that I know. And so it's exactly like that. Yeah. It's like yeah. How we're still getting like discriminated for doing this and other people mm-hmm. to do it and they're trustworthy. <laughs> right. Even recently, you um, had to take
2: your sign down and buy a new one because of racist harassment where you rent. <laughs>
3: yeah oh yeah that's been crazy like it's like i put romani holistic healing and it's very like old-fashioned kind of middle eastern vibe and so that's already also the racism in america just like looking middle eastern is already like an issue at the same time where i definitely acknowledge my privilege um but i don't know it's like the world is fucked you guys (laughs)
1: Right. Right. And I think it's very important to have that awareness be spread by you both when, you know, the knowledge, sometimes the only knowledge people have of tarot is their incredibly appropriative small town witchy store, which Alyssa and I know all too well <laughs> and have had bad experience with. And um, you know, it's just it's become so far from what like the essence of it truly is um so you have people practicing and going into years of practice and and like Alyssa said making so much money off of something they're almost like entirely unaware of the origins of which is crazy
0: of the privilege that like
1: comes along with that
0: a platform to do it, you know? I can't stop thinking about how cool I think it is, Paulina, that you have your shop because, like Mel said, we both have experiences with metaphysical shops that we worked at at different times. That I think we both kind of went into it like doe eyed with like rose colored glasses, like, oh, this is gonna be so cool and interesting. And just kind of seeing how, first of all, like, I mean, Two separate stores that were owned by white women who did not care to unpack where any of the practices that they were making money off of came from. There Mm -hmm. was history being taught in those stores. There was no like roots to anything. And there was also no critical lens to, you know, these, this is a bunch of stuff that came from different cultures. Like maybe we shouldn't be just like throwing it in a big bucket and Mm -hmm. stripping. of its history and selling it to people like there was none of that and i think that i just think that the world is really lucky to have a store that has those roots and has that history and mm-hmm. i i just feel really grateful i feel like you guys don't like owe it to us to educate us or to like share this with us but it's it's so
1: nice that you are it's a brave thing especially with how like this kind of spiritual surge. In America, has been uh, like the you mentioned social media, and I think like TikTok has literally warped and bastardized it so insanely bad and obviously like this kind of happened in a significant way like i was only born in the 90s so in my mind this happened in a significant way at like the tail end of the 90s with like the movies and the fashion and stuff and then kind of went away and then now it's kind of coming back full force and people are you know reading your angel cards on tiktok and et cetera. Et cetera. mass movement in the wrong direction almost <laughs> yeah it's fab- It's i mean it's wild
2: out there we also really appreciate, you know, being able to share what we care about. And while Paulina and I are not incredibly social media savvy, we do really like, um, teaching and sharing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times folks want to be aware and mindful of, um, their spiritual practices coming from Romani practices or other cultures, but they don't, Really know what to do and even just simple things like sharing Romani creators content, um, hiring Romani readers or teachers, buying Romani written books and decks and things like that like that's awesome sharing sharing information is, is so important and um also there there's some really interesting movements out there that i think because they're not american they don't have a lot of american attention but um there's this great romani feminist theater troupe called juve le pen um, which is the word for feminism in the Romani language. And uh, they do all kinds of really cool collaborations with traditional witches and fortune tellers and uh, do rituals, hexing fascists, or do performative readings. There's a whole like Roma futurism movement that's literally like a hybrid of technology and witchcraft. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's there's so many cool things out there, but they just don't have enough attention yet. So we're really hopeful that they will. Awesome. Thank you.
1: Another obviously interesting piece of it is that there's what we call a fortune teller or a tarot reader respectively. And then there's the label of witch. And like Jess said earlier, you know, sometimes they intersect and sometimes they don't for you and your experience. So I would also be curious to know a little bit more about like what the word witch means to the Romani people and to both of you?
3: You know, I feel like this is really a Jess question. No worries. <laughs> oh, I don't mean to like put you on the spotlight, but you know how I feel about this. So I feel like my answer really isn't anything. So- I mean, actually,
2: the reason that that you feel like this is a just question is so interesting, too, because Paulina's family does not identify with or connect with the label of which in any way, shape or form. Like fortune telling mm-hmm. is a job and you might have like Paulina is very good and might be considered like particularly gifted in it. But it's also like a skill that you can learn. And um, and I think a lot of families take that approach. And then also some families um, have a lineage of what they consider to be witches or the communities around them, like the Romani community around them considers to be witches. I'm not the best person to speak to about like traditional witch <laughs> experience within the Romani community. Um, and I it's something I've only really come to understand a little bit about my own background as I'm an adult. And now my grandma has dementia and I can't ask her that much about it. <laughs> but the idea that first some Romani people are very afraid of the idea, which is they're terrifying folkloric figures. They do bad things. They do dark magic, all these like, you know, complicated things and Mm -hmm. then for others they are the healers of the community they might do fortune telling work but they're also considered pariahs and the idea is that they kind of are on the margins of society and deal with a bunch of taboo things like helping people through death and illness and um and are kind of considered unclean and then depending on your experience if you're very traditional you might have more of that kind of context if you are not so traditional you might be like that is a bunch of bullshit we don't have witches <laughs> and so there's a, a diversity of opinion about this which is why i'm so interested in the roma futurism movement because it's working with traditional folks who identify with or are like marked as witches and Mm -hmm. they're doing performance art and you know using that as a way to push back against fascism and to um destigmatize um roma as like primitive and instead are like flying a spaceship in a music video or something (laughs) and so um yeah i always identified with the label of a witch. And I didn't really understand why, because my grandmother, when I was a kid, she kind of jokingly was like, oh, well, you're doing those things that I'm supposed to look out for. So I guess you're a baby witch. And it just seemed so tongue in cheek that mm-hmm. it never occurred to me that this was like a cultural experience I was having until much later when a friend, uh, Sasha Ravich taught a Romani folklore class. And she was talking about the signs of witches and how, you know, some fortune tellers are fortune tellers. Some come from lineages of of what seems like witches. And I was like, oh my God, (laughs) that's what I think that was. And I think in a lot of ways that term can even, it can be meaningful or it can be meaningless. I was raised outside of community. I was raised assimilated. I didn't have a lot of the experiences that would have maybe initiated me into that. And I'm kind of glad too, because, um, you know, I think it it's, can be limiting in some ways. And the uh, label of which, whether you're in the romantic community or not, it's something that's usually created by outsiders who are upset about it. And so I like using the label because I'm a nineties kid and I liked watching the craft and it was fun for me. And I was literally a baby fortune teller. And so it felt good to me. And as I've gotten older, I've been like, oh, there's like some cultural resonance there. It's not just that I felt like an outsider when I was a kid in America. (laughs) And that was a handy shorthand for
1: that. I love it so much.
3: I wanted to throw something in there because it's weird. Because my family would do everything that you would have, like quote unquote, a witch would do. Like we were, you know, if the neighbors didn't like us, was was a lot. It was like we're gonna have, we're gonna do a spell on them, or you know, we're gonna hex them, or we're gonna do this, or we're gonna do that. Like, and that's where in our we had a episode with um some other readers, Kiki and Yoba. And we talked about how it's like, I would consider myself someone who does practice like traditional magic. Right. Um, But I don't think I'm, I can I don't label myself as a witch, but I like Mm -hmm. do everything that a witch would do, I guess. (laughs)
1: right less about the uh the actions more about just that word
3: yeah that's how how I think my family was like raised and so I'm like yeah I guess that that would I think there must be some kind of like I don't know trauma that Mm -hmm. is why they're like they don't say like oh no we're not witches we're not witches you know there must be some kind of like backstory to that
0: I I'm like looking at my, my list of questions and I think it's so fun because we've kind of like jumped around and, and touched on a lot of what I was hoping we would talk about. Um, so that's phenomenal. You know, I'm really interested in just the fact that you both grew up with this as a trade and that you have such a different perspective on it. I'm really curious about, I guess, like your your spiritual philosophies and, and how that's been shaped by growing up with spirituality as a fundamental part of your life but also like you've both said like especially you Paulina like a trade that existed to make money and and how that has Impacted the way that you see spirituality. I think that for Mel and I, it's so, it's just such a different perspective coming at it from like being raised Catholic and always being told that like certainly like tarot cards were evil, going to a psychic was evil. Like I was not allowed to watch the movie Matilda growing up because of the like witchcraft in it you know those experiences are certainly like oppressive to a a little kid being told that like you're not allowed to have this personal connection with your spirituality because you like have to like give all of your spiritual power away to a god but it's also you know a part of christianity and catholicism that's very intentionally racist um And is meant to make us afraid of other people's spiritualities. Um, And so for us, our spirituality has always been very detached, I think, from the way that we were raised and so your experience just must be so different so I'm really curious about that experience of growing up raised that way and then also like when you did kind of enter online spaces and start being more like public with the work that you do anything that maybe like surprised you about the way that other people practice spirituality or oh no I'm going to have to plug my phone in um, about the way that like other people practice spirituality or things that you think are, are really like lacking from mainstream spirituality because they are detached from their roots, things like that.
3: You can go just because my dogs are having a heart attack right now. <laughs> it's puppy time. Um, <laughs> that's such a
2: good question. I think the best way I would describe my spiritual context um, in some ways, it was really fluid. A lot of Romani people will adopt the predominant religion of wherever they are to kind of ease assimilation, and some will commit really hard, and some will just be like, we're, you know, Catholic, with like air quotes. And so um my grandma was like a hard air quotes Catholic, and um she, I think, would be shocked if I went to church, but also would be equally shocked if I didn't say I was Catholic, even there's no... <laughs> It's purely a facade, yes, <laughs> but it's an important one. And um, so, underneath that facade, there was more traditional beliefs about animism—the belief that everything has a spirit and um, how you should be respectful and communicative with every living thing and organism around you—and um, also a lot of my early training in fortune telling even before I got to, you know, cards, palms, or tea leaves was really rooted in dream interpretation and ancestor veneration. And, um, she wouldn't have called it meditation, but it was definitely meditating. And she would just always say, okay, you have to just open your mind to God and let God fill you. But it would God was like nature. God was maybe mm-hmm. Jesus. Sometimes God was Lakeli, like the Romani goddess. <laughs> like yes. it was everything. <laughs> so I always had a very like sweet kind of feeling around our spirituality, especially because my grandmother, um, you know, left her family. And so a lot of the, um, I think harder things for a lot of Romani folks to navigate, especially women or people of any kind of marginalized gender or sexual orientation. Um, so a lot of the purity stuff, w- definitely was sort of in my family, but it wasn't as intense as like other people's experiences and so um there wasn't as much restriction in my childhood around like what was pure and impure as some other people that i know and so there was instead really a focus on trying to be useful um not like asking for too much it's a lot of humility modesty kind of (laughs) (laughs) depending like modesty in the way of, you know, not bragging, but my mom was also like, listen, we have to get as much mulch as we can from the garden center. So maybe we wear spandex today.
1: amazing
2: (laughs) (laughs) so maybe not as much physical modesty as i think a lot of romani folks would have grown up with which is like a big spiritual concept but um yeah and the idea that um we're supposed to be connected to nature and even cute kind of folkloric superstition things like um giving presents to rivers or forests Mm -hmm. or things like that like making little offerings and introducing yourself so you don't anger the very fickle spirits that and guard those places and also being able to like work with trees for healing. And so I feel like my childhood, in a lot of ways, of spirituality was varied based on kind of like love, connectivity, family, like the acknowledgement of sacredness and every living thing. But I also feel like I that was more um, my grandmother's take on Romani culture and maybe not a totally universal experience.
3: Mm-hmm. For me, I think it's a good question because it's like, where does spirituality and kind of religion, I guess, mix? I also grew up Catholic, oddly, but in a way that was also like air quotes Catholic, but also like the purity, like, you know, you definitely can't have sex before you're married, blah, blah, blah. Also, there were family members that were like, this is bad and it's against God, but we still have to do it to survive. And so there was like a lot of shame uh, pretty much all around. And so I think religion and spirituality kind of cross and intersect the way that a lot of things would, I don't know, kind of like friends and family intersect. And I don't know, like dinner... And dessert, like they're all dinner, you know. I don't know. So <laughs> I feel like they're kind of in the same realm to a degree. I tell people that when, especially when I'm dealing with skeptics, where they're like, well, what if it's not true? And I'm like, honestly, it's kind of like being a tarot atheist, where it's like, if you believe <laughs> God and you feel God, and then, and God is there and in the form that you want God to be in. But if you don't feel like God's there, then you don't feel like God's there and God's not there. Like, that's kind of my take on it that's awesome I definitely relate to that
0: <laughs> I like I love it I love the contrast between you two and and your experiences and like your like personalities and philosophies that has come from that and Paulina you just have such like a like a blunt and practical like take <laughs> on all of it, which I, I really love and appreciate thank it's
3: you it's so fun I don't I know if you compliment I tried to <laughs> it is your delight. <laughs> I thank you then, I guess. <laughs> Incredible.
0: Okay, well, I guess something I was wondering is I know you did like a little bit earlier, Jess, but um we talk a lot about in particular like tarot decks and deck imagery on our podcast. Do you have any decks written by Roma authors, artists that you would want to plug right now? that we should check out.
2: Yeah. So, um, right now there are a few Romani created tarot decks that are in the works. And so I feel like keep an eye out. Um, I don't think I'm there at the point where it's okay for like me to be talking about it on a podcast. (laughs) Um, but I, I hear, um, I hear tell, but Caitlin Foise collaborates a lot with Tayana Lee McQuiller. And they recently created um, this beautiful deck called the Hoodoo Tarot. And so Caitlin Foyze is a Romani and Indigenous artist. And Tayana Lee McQuiller is a Black and Indigenous, like, tarot creator. And so their collaborations are fucking magical. Like, it's a beautiful deck. And it's a deck that focuses on um, root work. And they've also done um, a few Oracle decks together, like... Um, Sybil's oraculum, which is inspired by the black doves of Libya, which is the Libyan mm. oracle. And also Ilva Droma Marzana Rezezewski and Mm -hmm. Kiki Robinson have collaborated on a beautiful oracle deck called The Living Altar that um, we also really love. And there will be more things out there, but um, those are kind of the biggest ones right now. Did I miss anything, Paulina?
3: I was going to say that I was actually just looking
2: for um, the name of that. So thank you. Yeah. And I also Lisa Boswell is a Romani... um, writer I don't think that she has her own deck out but I feel like she has quite a lot of books on tarot reading and tarot imagery and she is from the UK and from also like a long line of fortune tellers
1: wonderful
2: awesome
0: and for our listeners I will like find all of those and link them in the description so you can just yep. go ahead and click <laughs> and see those um I'm super excited to look into them as well kind of just as like a a main takeaway for people who are listening to this podcast and like, you know, weren't familiar with Romani people before this and are reading tarot. What do you want to communicate about your culture and your culture's history with this? And what kind of advice slash requests do you have for people who are learning about this and pursuing this?
3: All right, I'll go first on this one. So my thing is, I think that whoever out there is reading tarot, practicing tarot, especially earning a living with it, just understand that it is traditionally a Romani practice and trade. And so try to keep that known, even if you're reading for friends or family or professionally, like just say it out loud and kind of honor that it is our practice. I feel like the erasure is actually what bothers me personally the most, where it's like don't erase us and then profit off of us while you're oppressing us like please you know so it's like <laughs> lift us up a little bit and so that's kind of my my advice on that one i want to throw in something really quick Um uh, i mean i yeah. could get canceled for this honestly i don't know you guys i really don't so i'm still learning but I just remember somebody told me when I first opened my store, I was selling sage and they were like, you know, sage is actually an indigenous closed practice, or you probably shouldn't be selling that. And then so I very immediately like took it off, but I felt like um, I didn't know what to do. I was giving them sometimes a way into saying, actually, this is an indigenous practice. So just keep that in mind. I don't know where the sage came from, but blah, blah, blah. And at the very same time, I've also met some indigenous people you know natives that were actually selling sage like a lot of the times like at fairs or sometimes they were walking around selling them like in these older kind of like um inland towns where i would feel like i want to support them at the same time and i would be like and they're actually really popular like what if i buy them in bulk like i didn't say that but they were like i heard them say like if you do want to you know burn the sage like support indigenous people and then buy the sage from them um directly Mm -hmm. so it doesn't contribute to like over farming and stuff so i don't know why i'm throwing that in but basically i thought about it because it's like i don't even know if it's the right thing to do you know some Romani people will say no you can't fortune tell but i feel like some things are just out in the world and i -hmm. think just lift us up i think they're just maybe feeling like that because they have been betrayed by the way the practice um oppresses us to a degree but it's celebrated by other people so yeah
2: yeah i i really feel that i i totally respect the romani perspective that it's a closed practice i know some roma folks who are like everyone who is not romani like give away your tarot decks i don't really care about that um personally and i i don't even feel like it benefits um traditional fortune tellers to have that perspective because if you're gonna hire me to teach you tarot i appreciate that because i need the money (laughs) That's what I do. And so I'm not going to teach a closed practice of mine, but I'm going to teach what I feel like is safe for me to teach. And so I think that it's really important to maybe ask if you're not sure, I guess, if something's okay. And I say that with the caveat that Paulina and I get a lot of wild emails about people being like, I want to call my band the Sagebrush Gypsies. And I'm an old white lady. They say it like that. (laughs) Can I? And I'm like, if you're asking me, no, what well, like, leave right. me alone, please? <laughs> because I get so many emails like this and I'm tired and grouchy. Yeah, <laughs> so,
3: or like this one person said it was okay and we're like, yes. Yeah, because they're probably worried about food. They don't care if you call them a gypsy or not. But yeah, it's still <laughs> still oppresses them we don't know totally (laughs) yeah
2: and that's the other thing it's not all roma agree about these things and a lot of roma are like frankly most of our water is polluted there's housing employment police and health discrimination i do not care what you call us yeah it's a slur i don't give a shit and that's valid too (laughs) right and so paulina and i are just kind of like you know what let's try to use our platform to have a diversity of um, Romani voices about this, but like my requests also is that I'm so tired, especially in new England where I live of uh white, People especially, but I'm sure maybe other folks too, dressing up in the trashiest Esmeralda costumes they can find and tacking Gypsy on the, like in the front of their name, like Gypsy Leah's special readings, just looking like a discount Disney doll. And it bums me out because it's just so upsetting. Um, Those Movies are really problematic um, and whitewash a lot of really serious issues. And I just, it makes me feel ick. And it feels like a caricature of, honestly, our clothes are amazing. If you check out Loli by Zita Moldovan and Romani Design, those are amazing Mm -hmm. Romani fashion houses. There is no excuse to look like that. But also, (laughs) don't dress up like that in general um, (laughs) and kind of play a character. It's very creepy. Right, um, yeah, and so I would love for that to stop happening. Um, the the turbans and stuff, like, bro, yeah, like. It just bums us out. Yeah. And it kind of, especially when the problem in America is that most of the time when we say that we're Romani, people are like, Oh, I didn't know that was like a real thing. Mm -hmm. And it's a really huge problem because there's like an enormous, like worldwide human rights crisis. If you take a look at amnesty or ERRC, the European Roma rights center, there's hate crimes all the time. There's segregations in schools in Europe. Like there's, human trafficking there's a lot of really big like global issues affecting roma actively in the u.s as well there's still anti-gypsy task forces in the u.s and so to have someone dressing up um as gypsy leah and parading around a fair just like doesn't fucking help us and i'd love it to not be a thing (laughs) hell yeah thank you so much (laughs) Oh my goodness.
0: Yeah. Incredible. Thank you guys so much for just all of the information that you shared for us and for bringing your, your stories and, and your honesty and vulnerability. This is such a cool episode. Um, I've learned so much. And also I just want to say like the Ramana Sam podcast is phenomenal. It's so super interesting. They, Uh, Justin Paulina, they do a lot of talking about their own stories, but they also do a lot of interviewing other people who are just doing phenomenal, really radical, really transformative things in the world. And they also focus a a lot on the archetype of the outcast, which is really cool. I think a lot of our listeners would really vibe with what you guys do with um, bringing people on and talking about how you are an outcast and how to kind of repurpose and, and own that identity um so just yeah 10 out of 10 would recommend giving the podcast
1: a listen as well thank,
0: thank you so yeah. much that means a
2: lot yeah <laughs>
0: That's
1: super sweet thank you so biggest thank you seriously in the world to you both just can't say that enough and yeah if you want to close off with sharing social media handles or anything else you want to like super promote right now go for it
3: Cool. I will give my business handle for Instagram. It's at Romani Holistic, R-O-M-A-N-I Holistic.
2: And on Instagram, I'm at jazmina.vontila, J-E-Z-M-I-N-A and then dot V-O-N-T-H-I-E-L-E. And on TikTok, I'm just Jasmina Bontila. I barely know what to do there. Um, okay. And Jasmina Bonti on Twitter. And I have a Patreon too, where I do most of my stuff. And so if you like special posts and lots of classes and Q and A's and I do lots of like online ritual and things like that. I try to be most active there. So that's really fun. And, uh, for Romanistan podcasts, we're just Romanistan podcasts on Instagram and Romanistan pod on Twitter and coffee. Yes. We have a Patreon, um, for Romanistan podcasts as well. It's $5 a month for bonus content. It helps us so much. We also have a coffee fundraiser if you would rather just give us money and not have bonus content for some reason and um yeah and we have merch on our website romanistanpodcast.com we have adorable like t-shirts and beanies and hats and totes and so we're really
1: trying to yeah we're really (laughs) trying to make it happen i saw those they're so cute thank you Fantastic. Well, again, a resounding thank you. And this is our coolest bonus episode ever. Love it.
3: <laughs> this was
1: so fun. Y'all are a delight. We really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, we really thank you. Everyone at home listening, thank you for tuning into this episode of Arcane Dames.
3: Bye.
2: Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>